Welcome to the Sunflower Conversations, where we explore the hidden disability sunflower and its role in supporting people with hidden disabilities. My name is Paul Schriever, and today I'll be talking to Sarah Hughes. Sarah studied an MSc or Masters of Science in Psychology, and her dissertation or final assignment was on eight autistic families who chose to wear the sunflower. Can you please tell us how you went about your study and shared your findings with the Sunflower Scheme and the autistic families involved. Yes, absolutely. So first of all, just to give you a little bit of background about why I chose to study this in particular. I was in Acosta a couple of years ago and followed in a mother and son. It was quite busy, there was a lot of noise. Um, the son was flailing his arms around a little bit, made a few unusual noises, and it was clear to me that the mum was felt very, very uncomfortable. She was very, very self-conscious. They sat down for about a minute and then got up and left. And I started to think whilst studying um, why that situation unfolded. And, you know, was it a decision by the mum to take her son out of that situation because he was experiencing a sensory overload and just needed to get out of there? Or was it because she felt people were looking at her? I didn't notice people were looking at her. Um, was I looking at her? What had occurred in that space? And it was, all, it was before the lanyards had started to be used. Obviously, more than a million people are using them to help navigate their way around their day-to-day -day lives. Um, so I decided that to interview parents um, within autistic families, find out about their experiences and the barriers to going around there, just conducting their everyday life, popping to the shops, going to the doctors, posting a letter, whatever it might be, um, and to try and look at what it is that's causing some of the problems um, and how the lanyards are helping to overcome some of those challenges. So, um, it occurred to me that even subtle responses from the public can have a negative effect on an autistic family. Um, the research that I did, I interviewed eight parents um, of children with autism, both in mainstream and special school settings. Some were verbal, some were nonverbal, all boys. Um, aged between five and 15. And I asked them about incidents that had occurred where they or their child had become distressed in a public setting and how they felt about when that happened and whether they had limited their activity as a family as a result. Um, and then I asked them about the sort of support that they'd had by using the lanyards, how they found out about them and whether they'd had support just from staff in shops and um, public places, leisure facilities, or whether it had affected or changed their engagement at a more public level, so from, from the community. Um, because I believe that even small responses can affect the outcome of a situation. Um, and I think that with ASD children's difficulties in interacting, that can cause awkwardness sometimes in um, when members of the public engage with an autistic family. So um, what I found is that there are 
three interrelating processes um, with a psychological sort of hat on. One is, um, and they all interact and interlink with one another. So let's say you're in a supermarket, your child has a meltdown, let's say, and you feel members of the public are, are watching you, looking at you, disapprovingly perhaps, maybe someone tuts at you, maybe someone says, ooh, what a brat. You know, these situations appear to occur quite frequently. And certainly with the families that I spoke to, that was something that was a real challenge for them. Sarah, how um, did you find about, how did you find the families? Where did you find them? Well, um, it was quite difficult actually due to COVID. Um, I was working as a TA in a special school and the school um, very kindly offered to give me access to their parents. But just before the research started, um, we went into lockdown and I was very conscious that autistic families would be under increased pressure at that time um, because their children weren't at school. So um, I relied on the school to decide when was an appropriate time to in, uh, reach out to parents. But I also um, posted on social media and uh, local child psychology practice also contacted some of their clients to ask them to take part. I think also it um, we did have a post on the Hidden Disability Sunflower Lanyards Facebook group, which I'm a part of. Right. Is, is that, Sarah, is that how you heard of the Hidden Disability Sunflower? How did, the, how did you find out about? Um, a friend shared something on Facebook a year or two ago about a story about a mum who had um, used the lanyards to be able to take her son on an aeroplane. And it just touched me at the time and thought it was such a fantastic scheme. Um, alerting people as like a mental token that to give the child, the family more space, but also offers of help and encouragement, really. So, um, the, yes, the first the first aspect is this confused social engagement and the parents seem to experience almost malaise from members of the public. Um, and it, I think it's probably driven by if you don't have an autistic family child family member or you haven't been exposed to somebody who has autistic traits, you don't really know how to respond. And, and the, the, the immediate reaction is to back away and almost ignore people. So that was pretty, pretty unpleasant. And there were some pretty unpleasant experiences talked about by the families. The second one is, is um, it's called ontological invalidation, but it's basically what the parents take away from those sorts of situations. They feel a, a lack of value, um, perceived lack of value from other people because of the situation that's occurred. Um, it could be really subtle. I mean, some of the parents made comments like, you can tell it's just in their eyes. You can see it in their eyes that they're disapproving of my child because he's struggling with you know, the sensory aspects of being out and about in noisy places, busy places, loud places. Um, and the, some of the, they also talked about when situations do occur and their child is, is struggling and may be having a meltdown, they really need to focus on what's happening with their child at that moment in time. They really don't need to be bothering about what members of the public are thinking or not thinking. And that can actually drain their ability to deal with the situation properly. 
So it, their ability that they're dealing with the situation maybe to ignore it, but then members of the public might think they're there, therefore allowing bad behavior. They may need to restrain or they may just need to get out the shop. There's a hundred different ways that families choose to cope with this, this situation. The final bit is um, sort of when families experience um, awkwardness from other people, when they come away and potentially take some of the in, internalize some of those feelings, it can affect their decision making in the future in terms of what they do and don't do. So a number of families that I spoke to talked about really limiting what they do with their children, maybe preferring to leave their child at home. Um, only going to places where they feel maybe staff know the child and can and can help sort of foster encourage support in the right way um, and this they you know there's a tendency to withdraw and this was a huge problem for the families because you know we all have to go about our daily lives but also for the child because the less they're exposed to um okay not loud noises and, and over sensory things but the less they've got the opportunity to engage with people the harder they may find it in the future to develop those strengths and those skills so needed in life today um so so yeah that's sort of that's sort of where where we got to and then we talked about the lanyards and um the things that the lanyards unlocked for them as a family. So all the families I spoke to, they wear the lanyards every time they go out. Um, some of them have created little sort of, they pimped up the lanyards and put sort of a PEX card in the back so that they help the child communicate whether they want to go to the toilet or um, others have obviously put contact details in there in case their child were to bolt out of a shop um, there's contact information on there as well. Um, and they said that the main sort of three things that the lanyards enabled was that they might not need to ask for help in the future because the lanyards give a mental token that perhaps they will need help and, and could do with some supportive encouragement. Um, there'll be fewer tufts, fewer comments of that child's a brat. And they won't need to explain. The, the other issue that a lot of them had was that they felt they needed to explain the behavior of their children to people. And, and none of them wanted to do that. They didn't want to say, look, it's okay. He, he's, he can't talk back to you or he can't communicate verbally in that way, but please carry on speaking to my child. Lots of people wanted their children to have opportunities to maybe buy something in a shop or if somebody spoke to them and the child was unable to respond with words, the parents still wanted to encourage that person to try to continue to try to engage really valuable experiences for the child rather than maybe the person, member of the public, sort of looking a little bit oddly when they don't get a verbal reply, the expected reply. So that was just really, really powerful things. And um, I think that if we can make small changes to our environment, um, we can create a much better, a greater sense of hope that autistic families will be able to go about their daily lives and get a better, more enriching 
experience when they do. So there'll be fewer distressing situations and more empowering situations for the family. Sarah, did you find the same sort of thread of findings across all eight families? Yes. Yeah, very, very strongly. Yeah. And, and even where different regions of the country, the lanyards seem to have a slightly different um, level of understanding. So even uh, people that were living in areas where the lanyards hadn't been as recognised as they, as they had hoped them to be, they still religiously wear them because they want the best for their children. And if that means that on this particular trip, somebody recognises the lanyard and then adjusts their behaviour accordingly, rather than expecting the child to adjust their behaviour, it's, it's that sense of hope. Um, that we that, that that was really the title of the report. The the lanyards are a, a, a symbol of hope for families, and as they grow in awareness, um, the understanding from members of the public will increase as well. And I think that just creates a much more inclusive community around autistic families. Sarah, did did all of the families know about the sunflower? Yes. Yes, that was a, a prerequisite of the um, selecting participants for the research that I, I really wanted to speak to people that had already and were actively using the lanyards. One dad actually said that he doesn't wear it as his, his son doesn't wear it as a lanyard around his neck. That dad actually wears it on his belt. So or, or has it in his wallet. So if a situation is about to unfold, it comes out. Um, everybody else, um, we're using it as the lanyards, but the school, the special school that I work at, quite a lot of the teenagers wear the, the badge and it almost seems like a, an identity, it's, it's part of their identity. And I, I thought that was really a lovely thing to see amongst older children who recognize the lanyards for themselves rather than it's something that the parents probably deciding to use. So, so yeah, that, nice. that for me is fantastic. Even if it if it just does that alone, you know, it's worth doing, isn't it? If if it yes. gives people that sense of um, just a little bit of comfort and makes you feel a little bit more reassured, then it's it's worth it, isn't it? That alone, 100%. For me, yeah, hundred percent. You said you work at a school for children with conditions. I'm a, an assistant. Um, psychologist now so I, I um, go into schools and do observations as part of autism assessments Amazing. and I've I work with a couple of children teenagers who are doing one-to-one -one support who are having difficulties at school so there was one lady who said that she went into a, took her son into a park and um, he was she was trying to get him to queue for the slide but he couldn't comprehend why or what was being asked of him so he started to have a meltdown and there were other mums in the park please excuse the cat in the background <laughs> and they were tutting and staring at her and she felt so uncomfortable that she left the park and she says now that we she's got a younger son as well we do go to the park but we don't always go in it depends if there's anybody else in there and if there's somebody else in there we won't go into the park so that's a really powerful one. Then there was another lady who talked about her son bolted out of the supermarket and 
um, she had a, a smaller, younger child in a pram, a buggy, so she couldn't chase after him. Uh, yet, loads of people were watching this happen. And she said, it's sort of slow motion, you can imagine it. She said, literally, people were just standing, stopping and staring, watching him go. And she chucked it out the supermarket, ran down the side of the road, and he was running towards the main road. And it was only when she screamed stop that he sort of stopped on the curb. But she felt that, you know, if he was, let's say he didn't, he had a normal gait and he was running like a neurotypical child, not a neurodiverse child, perhaps. Maybe he was making some noises as he was going. Nobody intervened. Whereas if that was a normal seven-year-old boy someone. running on his own, someone would grab him and say, hey, what are you doing? Are you okay? But that, it didn't happen. And, that, and those, those two were the most shocking bits of what was said. And, and again, the way the mum going home and internalising all that happened and then deciding I'm not going to take the kids out again. They're going to just stay at home the whole time and then imagine for the child only still being at home they get no exposure to life how can they integrate often it's not conscious reactions by people people don't realize the impact that they're having on um, autistic families and the lanyard just takes that issue out of the equation it, and it's it's a really clever way of um stopping people judging they stop and think they stop and think in their tracks um and i know that the lanyard itself was probably designed for for staff really i mean all of the parents talked about going through airports for example and that is that's just been a huge hugely successful aspect of the lanyards and that's i think where it started but i think now as usage evolves i think there's a much bigger societal change that can be brought about because of because of them which is which is fantastic if you'd like to share your sunflower story or conversation please email conversations at hiddendisabilitystore.com find out more about us or listen to this recording again by checking out our insights page at hiddendisabilitystore.com you can also find us on facebook instagram Twitter, YouTube and LinkedIn. Please help, have patience and show kindness to others and join us again soon. Making the invisible visible with the hidden disability sunflower.